Well, good morning, good morning. Welcome to The Grove. If this is your first time with us or maybe first time back in a while, if your family in town, if they forced you to come because you were staying with them, whatever reason you're here this morning, we are so glad for it. My name is Stephen and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, over the last several weeks during Advent, we have kind of been talking about how we in our own lives can kind of rediscover the light. What we've kind of discussed is just how our world today is such an overlit affair that it's easy to lose sight and perspective of just how valuable and important light is in our own life. We have all of these opportunities, both kind of literally to fill our life with light, but also figuratively. There are so many good things that we can devote our attention to, our energies to. You are likely experiencing the effects of all of those good things that you are devoting your energy to at this point in the calendar, knowing that life is kind of, kind of sped up to this frenetic pace where it might feel like even though you've said yes to all good things, you're kind of holding on for dear life, just hoping to kind of get through Christmas so things can kind of calm back down a little bit. But one of the things that we want to make sure has happened through this Advent season, and if you're just joining us, if you've kind of made a mess of the last three weeks, there's still a week left. You can still kind of course correct. Um, but what we've tried to help you accomplish, and all of us together, is how do we rediscover the light? How do we slow down, reprioritize, reshift our focus and perspective so that the thing that matters most is kind of front and center? And one of the ways that we've done that is to kind of play with the metaphor of light over the last three or four weeks. You know, light's not a unique metaphor in Scripture, but what we've tried to do is kind of show you out in the kind of the natural scientific world all of the different ways that light has evolved over time and some of those parallels in Scripture. And so in week one, I kind of talked about the kind of the, the change in technology over the course of lighting from like these small, terrible candles into kind of the, all of the LEDs that we have today and then... Week two, I talked to you about how the incandescent light bulb works. Then last week, Allie talked about kind of the way that the shape of a lens um, magnifies the source of light. And today, I want to tell you about the history of fiber optics. And so some of you are like, oh, cool. And some of you are like, I told you we should have just watched online and stayed at home. Because I know that sounds really exciting, all of the documentaries that you've probably watched on the history of fiber optics. This is like one of those bad NPR shows. You're like, oh my God, can we tell some jokes or something here? But uh, I think what's interesting about the history of fiber optics is uh, the reason, the principle that uh, has occurred that makes fiber optics able to kind of be used today is something that I think find, we find through Scripture and that I think we find and can find in our own life. You see, as light became more popular in the 1800s when Edison kind of invents this incandescent light bulb and light becomes more accessible on a regular basis, uh, you had the opportunity to begin to study it, to observe its effects, um, to kind of put it in different environments and different situations to see how light uh, had different impacts on different environments. And so what you see happening is kind of towards the tail end of the 1800s is scientists are starting to play with and experiment with light, observing and making note of all of the different properties and principles that light as a substance has. And one of the things that they learned is that if you put light or if you illuminate a tube of like water, what happens is that light is carried through that tube of water and you can see the light and experience the light on the other end. Now, the, the way that this works is because there's this concept in light called internal reflection. 
And so when you put light into a clear enough so, like substance, whether it's air, whether it's water, whether it's glass, uh, the light continues throughout that substance and is able to be seen and experienced at some other end of whatever, however long the tube was. Now, you can imagine, just take a PVC pipe, put water in it, shine a light in it, and the light will carry the water. You can also kind of do this experiment at home if you have kids. Take a water bottle and wrap it in black tape, except for the very bottom. And then open the lid, go into a dark room, put a flashlight at the bottom of the bottle, and start to pour out the water. And what you'll see happen is if you don't pour out the water too steeply, the light will kind of follow the curve of the water out the bottle. Now, I tried to do it this morning, and we rehearsed it, and it was kind of like, womp, womp. And so I was like, I'll save them the illustration, but if you go to your home in a bathroom with no exterior windows, it'll last for 15 seconds. You're like, oh, that's a lot of trouble just for that one little example. But it works. And what they noticed was as you pour water out with light connected to it, with light pouring into the water, the water keeps the light. And so it wasn't just a straight tube that would be able to hold kind of the, the brilliance of the light, but even it could curve as long as the curve wasn't at too steep of an angle, all because of this idea of internal reflection. The, the light waves would kind of bounce off the substance or the medium that the light was put into. And so what they realized is like, oh, we might be able to make like flexible tubing or something that would allow us to have access to images or things on the other side. If we created something that could receive what the light was shining on, we would be able to maybe use this for medical purposes. And so they developed some of this technology that they use to try to put down people's kind of esophaguses and look inside their stomachs and things like that. And so we start to see kind of this technology begin to shift and to evolve. And then somewhere kind of around the 1950s, what they realized is you could do the same thing with water, or the same thing that light can do through water, you can also do through glass. Well, if you make glass fibers small enough, you can bend them, you can move them, you can twist them, and it carries the light throughout the source of glass. And so in the 1950s, they developed this technology called fiber optics. And so you shine the light into the glass, however long the glass was, no matter what shape the glass tube was in, and it would carry this light through it. Now what they realized, though, was over time that Obviously, it kind of makes sense to us, but you know, when you're starting to develop this technology, the clearer the substance, the more effective internal reflection became. So the clearer the glass, the clearer the water, the clearer the air that you're shining the light through, the easier it is for internal reflection to occur. And so they developed this super clear, super thin glass fibers, like thinner than our human hair, and then they would wrap you know, a whole bunch of them, thousands of them up together, and they were able to shine light through them, and it would extend for as long as that cable existed. Well, in the 1970s, they're like, oh, we can pass information through these light waves through these fiber optic cables. And so in the 1970s, they ran some under, underground in California, and then in the late 1980s, we had the first transatlantic kind of fiber optic cable that connected the United States to the United Kingdom and to France till we get to today, where there are over 400 submarine transatlantic cables, not just transatlantic, but all over the oceans of the world. There are over 400 of these that span over a million miles, carrying information back and forth from all of the different countries all around the world. Because of this one principle, 
of internal reflection. The clearer the surface and the medium, the easier it is for light to reflect through it. Well, the same is true for our own lives. Light also occurs through internal reflection in our own lives. The light that we experience in the world, the light that we experience from God, the clearer the medium, the more easily you can recognize and see the light. And I want to show it to you the way that this works in Scripture. So over the last couple of weeks, we have been in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And the reason for that uh, is because it's kind of the preface to the Christmas story. As we have been preparing, waiting to celebrate the Christmas story on Christmas Eve, we thought it would be important to kind of walk through the preface to the Christmas story in Scripture. And so we've kind of been working through the first chapter in the Gospel of Luke. And Dan, if you'll jump to that first Scripture slide for me. Okay, so here's the situation that we're in. We're at the last kind of several verses in the Gospel of Luke. And what has happened thus far, if you're just kind of catching up, is um, Mary and Joseph, particularly Mary, have some relatives named Elizabeth and Zechariah. And the angel, before the angel comes to Mary and says, Mary, you're going to have a baby boy and you're going to name him Jesus, the angel comes to Elizabeth and Zechariah and he says, you're going to have a son and you're going to name him John. Now, this was kind of comical to Zechariah and Elizabeth because they were getting on in years, as Scripture tells us. So they were old. They were way past the point of being you know, realistically able to conceive a child. And so the angel comes to them and says, you're going to have a child and you're going to name him John. And, John, or, and Zechariah, like, kind of, because they're old, like, yeah, right, how is this going to happen? And because of his doubt and disbelief, his mouth is kind of sealed and he's not able to speak for like nine months. And so for some of you, you're like, oh my God, I would love for that to happen to my spouse. That would be like such a gift from God if mouth was sealed. But as scripture goes on, the angel then shows up to Mary and says, the same thing's going to happen to you and you're going to have a son and you're going to name him Jesus. There's going to be a little bit difference between your, your baby and Elizabeth's baby, but y'all need to know that both of these things are happening in your life. And it's such an incredible thing that the Holy Spirit is doing in the world that I want to put you in connection together. And so Mary goes and stays with Elizabeth for a couple of months. Now, the point that we're at in the story is it's time for Elizabeth to give birth to the baby. And so everybody gathers around. They give birth to the baby. And it's like this unbelievable thing because John's mouth, or Zachariah's mouth is finally open and he's able to speak and everybody starts to kind of murmur and talk about the thing that God is doing in the life of these people that everybody thought was impossible. And this is what Zechariah says, and I want to read it to us today. So, then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. Now, when we see the word prophecy, we often kind of think of like, you know, the world's going to end in 2012 or, you know, Mayan temple stuff or whatever it is. That's not what this is talking about. This is just a declaration of what God is going to do in the world. It's kind of like an affirmation of what have people anticipate God will do. It's a, a commitment to a promise that they believe will be fulfilled. So this is what happens when Zechariah speaks this prophecy. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably upon his people and redeemed them. Okay, sorry about that. No fiber optics working there. And he has looked favorably upon his people. Now, this is kind of an interesting statement given what has happened in this period of time. Kind of jumping back to week one, this whole 
Gospel of Luke starts in the time of King Herod. And the reason it does that is because it talks about, kind of it gives us some context about how terrible and awful Herod was and how terrible and awful life was for the people who lived under the regime and rule of King Herod. And so there was a long period of time in the life of the people of Israel kind of that's occurring during the same time period where they're kind of wondering, like, is God active in the world? Like, has God forgotten about us? Has God abandoned us? Has God left us for good? And so there's like this period of silence on behalf of God that they're not sure if God's around anymore. And then all of a sudden, these angels start showing up saying that God's about to do something new in the world, that the Holy Spirit is kind of breaking forth into the world like a sunrise breaks forth into a really dark night. I don't know if you've ever kind of been out before. Maybe you like to hunt, or maybe you've been camping or backpacking or something, or maybe you just had to get up early to go on a drive. But it's oftentimes like right before the sun comes up that it is the darkest at night, especially if the moon's out or that you've got cloud cover or something. I walk my dog every morning, like around 6.15, 6.30, and it's, it's so amazing to me that it's so dark, and then just like in a moment, the sun comes up, life happens in the world. It's like nobody's out at 6.15, especially when it's cold, and so it's usually just me and my dog and you know, maybe like one jogger, and then the moment that sun comes up, it's like all of a sudden all of the life starts happening. The cars start moving around the streets. People start, they're out. Kids are kind of on campus and all of this energy and life is happening. The same thing is occurring in the scriptures. It's this really dark period of time. And then all of a sudden these angels show up and strange, miraculous, unbelievable things start happening in the world. And people are starting to talk and wonder about what this might mean. And it starts to fill them with this sense of optimism and hope and encouragement because it has been this long period of just wondering and waiting and hoping that something good might happen in their life. And so Zechariah, once his mouth is finally open, he's able to point to all of the things that are happening and connect it to the promises that people have been waiting on to be fulfilled for hundreds of years. He's saying, see, God is still here. God has still been active in our life. God hasn't forgotten about us. He's looked favorably upon his people, and he's redeemed them. And all that means is he's kind of restored relationship with them. And he goes on, and he says, he does this to grant us. Uh Uh-oh. Technology is working this morning. Okay, where are we? He's raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David. And as he spoke, Dan, are you with me? I'm going to let you do this. There we go. All right, we're all on the same page now. Ready, set, break. Okay. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. All of these things that the prophets have anticipated would happen, that they promised would happen in the world, the ways that God would show up, they're finally starting to happen. And that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. God's going to save us. God's going to redeem us. God's going to restore us. God's going to protect us from all of the darkness that exists in this world. Next verse. And he does this to grant us so that we can be rescued from the hands of enemies and we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Now let's stop there for a second. Remember what they learned about light and internal reflection. The clearer the medium, the greater the reflection of the light. 
And so what Zechariah is saying here, God is still active. God's restoring us for a purpose. What does it say? It says, so that we can serve him without fear. Our job isn't just to receive the goodness of God in our own life and say, thank you, that was, that's really nice. That makes life a lot better and easier for me. No, no, no. God's light comes into our life. It breaks into our light for a reason. That reason is to serve him. And the way that we can best serve him, the way that we can best reflect the light to others is by being the clearest, most usable medium possible. And so how do we do that? In holiness and righteousness before God all of our days. And then Zacharias shifts a little bit. And instead of speaking to the people who were hearing this, he starts to speak this over his son. And parents, if you've ever kind of had that moment in the life of being a parent where maybe the child was in the crib asleep or, you know, you were just holding them as they were, you know, kind of still for a moment and you start to like think about and dream about and hope for all of the things that this child will become or your children would become, all the prayers that you have about the ways that they would grow up and who they might be in the world. John kind of, or Zechariah kind of has this moment for John. And so he says this, and he says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And what we see happen throughout the rest of the Gospels is John lives into the same prophecy. Zechariah speaks these words, and they become true manifestations in John's life. And he says, you'll be the prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. You're going to give knowledge of salvation to God's people by the forgiveness of their sin. You're going to give people an opportunity to come back into relationship with God so that they can be used to serve God. And the way that you're going to give them this opportunity is for the opportunity for them to repent and to be forgiven of their sins, to become a clearer medium for God's light to reflect through them. This is your purpose, John. This is why God has sent you into the world, to go out before, to make a way for the one who is coming after you and so that people can see his light in their own lives. And then he ends it with this. And he says, By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us, just like it does early in the morning. The dawn from on high, God's light will break forth into the world to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide us into the way of peace. And in the same way, Zechariah kind of speaks this prophecy over his son, and in hopes of who he will become. I also think that he speaks it over all those who will come after, all of those who will follow in the way of Jesus, all of those who want to be those who share the light. This is kind of our calling. This is kind of the whole purpose of rediscovering the light in our own life. It's not just for us. It's not just to keep it contained inside of our own lives, to share it with our family, but it's to be a conduit through which life the light can reflect to all those we come in contact with. This is what he says. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us. And it's going to give us light so that those who sit in darkness will be able to see the light. And they won't be under the shadow of death. It's not like a literal death. It's a figurative death. All of the ways that different paths of life don't really lead to life. We all know people who have chosen pathways, chosen patterns of behavior, addictions, 
the ways that they struggle in their own life, and it only seems to lead towards like a figurative type of death or even a literal type of death because of the choices. What Zechariah is saying to his son is that you have the opportunity through your life to internally reflect that light to others so that they have a different option other than just leading a life that leads towards death. And I think that's the same purpose that we have here in the church. As we get ready to celebrate Christmas and this light that comes into the world that illuminates all of the world so that those living in darkness can see this great light, we have a role and a responsibility to do the same thing in the same way that fiber optics work, to allow our lives to be a clear medium for internal reflection through the choices that we make, through our actions and our behaviors, through our values, through the language that we choose. I think this time of year is the perfect microcosm to reflect upon and evaluate the clarity of our medium, the clarity of our life and our ability to internally reflect God's light. We're with our families for extended periods of time, the people that we feel safest being the worst versions of ourselves with. But how are we how are we treating those closest to us? Are we kind? Are we generous? Are we compassionate? Are we forgiving? Or are we short-tempered? Are we quick to speak harsh words? Are we stingy and self-serving? The next week is just the perfect opportunity to recommit to internal reflection, to recommit to sharing the life with those around you. It doesn't just stop at Christmas, but it's the opportunity to double down on this opportunity to share the light with others. And so as we kind of get ready to move into the celebration of Christ's light coming into the world, may it be true that it shines in our own life as well. Shines so that others can see it. Others can experience it and receive that light for themselves. Let me pray for our time together as we invite the band to come back up and lead us in one last song. Gracious God, we thank you for this opportunity to be reminded that your light comes to us and shines through us so that others can see it and be drawn into relationship with you. God, help us to recommit, to refocus our lives towards living in the example of your son so that our lives can be clear and shine brilliantly in the example of your son. It's in your name we pray. Amen.